This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. It's Thursday. It's Today in Ohio. It's the news podcast discussion from Cleveland.com and The Plain Dealer. I'm Chris Quinn here with Laura Johnston, Lisa Garvin, and Layla Tassi. It's been kind of a busy end of the news week, so let's get to some of the stories. Will this one come as a surprise to anyone who has been paying attention to how dysfunctional Ohio's legislature has become, with its focus on neutralizing voters and pushing silly things like constitutional amendments for hunting rights? Which state is rated as the worst in the country for redistricting, Layla? <laughs> Uh, uh, it's us. <laughs> hey, <laughs> yeah, hey, number we one, did it. Number we, one. we did it. So common cause, uh, the nonpartisan left leaning, however, watchdog group based in DC on Wednesday, put out this redistricting report card for states and we got an F yay. Unsurprisingly for our congressional and legislative maps, which common cause called unmitigated disasters. We joined Alabama, Florida. <laughs> We're in great company. Yeah. Illinois, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Wisconsin, which also earned Fs for their redistricting processes. And M Massachusetts and California were at the top. They earned A minuses. Common Cause said this latest redistricting cycle in Ohio was a textbook example of the lengths of elected officials will go to prioritize partisanship over fair representation for the public. And they, they added that Republican lawmakers and redistricting commission members showed a complete disregard for the rule of law in Ohio. We've been saying that forever. The report noted how in Dayton, residents were successful there, pushing back against a map that split their community into separate districts, but that's a rare example of of the will of the people overcoming the politics of this process. And of course, you know, the Republican Party just rolled their eyes at all of this and, and dismissed common causes a group that was simply pretending to pursue fair maps, but was really angling for guaranteed gerrymandered wins for Democrats. Yeah, that's what it's about. When they <laughs> when you raid all 50 states, that's what they're trying to do. There was a time before 2016 when elected lawmakers would be embarrassed by things like this, to be to be looked at on a national scope and be dead last, just like we are for subsidizing childcare and probably a hundred other categories, they would they would feel bad about it and and set their minds to fixing it. And today they don't care. It's all about party over the people. I mean, th th and this legislature really wants to stick it to the people. I mean, first they had issue one, which they tried to persuade people, give up all your authority. Well, just trust us. We'll take care of it. You know, they, the Senate under Matt Huffman with Jerry Serino banging the drum tried to destroy Cleveland's ability to govern itself. And it's just over and over again. These guys do bad things. This should be a wake-up call. Like, yeah, God, we don't want to be the worst in the nation for drawing lines that stick it to the people. And instead they say, oh, this is just the Democrats. Right, right. Well, let's hope that the the next round of, of redistricting reform will stick it to them. <laughs> well, let's hope we pass it. Uh, Maureen O'Connor's got it. The, the Dave Yost has approved the language. Now it goes before Frank LaRose, who I'm sure will do something bad to it. And we'll have to go to court to overcome him. That's become the standard process. 
but hopefully that's where we'll get. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Doesn't anybody lose gracefully anymore? Is Derek Marin the new Carrie Lake, meaning somebody just cannot admit losing? Lisa, what is his latest shot at Jason Stevens, who outmaneuvered Marin to become Ohio House Speaker? Yeah, he's like the epitome of a sore loser. So Derek Marin, along with Ron Ferguson of Jefferson County and Phil Plummer of Dayton, filed a lawsuit to take control of the Ohio House Republican Alliance, or OHRA. That's the party's campaign arm that controls campaign funds. They're seeking reimbursements and damages from J- Speaker Jason Stevens and OHRA head. Jeff LeRae, who are the defendants in this case. They're also asking the court to order that Marin and Plummer be put in charge of the OHRA and about $1.1 million in its campaign coffers. The suit argues that although Stevens was elected speaker in January, the 67 Republicans who supported Marin met afterward, and they elected Marin to a newly created position of caucus chair. So they're saying that Ohio law that, that funds, you know, and is in, that funds are that are administered and controlled by the caucus. So they created this caucus chair thing. So Plummer and Marin should have sole authority. The suit says they say that Stevens reneged on an April deal that made Plummer and Larray OHRA co-chairs. So one of the defendant and one of the plaintiff. But they say that they. Plummer was cut out of decisions that were made. So they're seeking $284,000 in reimbursements from Stevens and LeRae, plus $100,000 in damages, attorney fees, and court costs. In a statement, Stevens and LeRae said, this is nothing more than the desperate annex of self-promoting individuals. It's a petty distraction from real work being done on the redistricting and budget. What a smart guy would do, and we're not talking about Marin here, would be to maneuver for the next time. And it's October. We're almost in mid-October. So the first year of Stephen's term is almost ending. Next year, there's election again. And, you know, there's going to be competition. Matt Huffman's getting kicked out of the Senate by term limits, and he thinks he can run for the House seat and in his first year become House Speaker <laughs> because, you know, he's the exalted grand poobah and can get whatever he wants. So so if I'm Marin, I'm, I'm looking more at that as a threat instead of this immediate back and forth nonsense that'll drag out in the courts. He lost. He got his butt kicked. Stevens outplayed him in a way he didn't see coming. So learn a lesson, maneuver, use strategy and come back next time instead we're we're playing these these games where he's going wah 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 it's not fair it's just dumb and and you know they don't they haven't even set a trial date this is in franklin county common pleas judge mark surratt's court and they've set a date for october of next year if the suit is not resolved by then right but at which point will almost be to the it's moot because the next election will occur. It just seems like it's very Carrie Lake-like, right? <laughs> just refusing to recognize I got beaten and salute Stevens for, for being strategic and taking him down. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Who is the new CEO at Sherwin-Williams? And what are the chances she will use this position the way former CEO Chris Conner did to help the region prosper while also tending to the massive paint company's needs? Laura. So the new CEO is Heidi Pett. She's 48. She joined Sherwin-Williams in 2017. And that's when Sherwin-Williams bought Valspar. And she was in Illinois before that. So she had been with Valspar since 2013. She's worked for Target, Newell, Rubbermaid, and 
PricewaterhouseCoopers. So a long history of corporate positions there. She doesn't really see any need for a big change at Sherwin-Williams this far as their culture. She says everything is done very thoughtfully and very deliberately. We've got a lot of experienced leaders. And the important thing is that they're able to adapt to the market. She talked about the pandemic. They had a lot of turbulence with supply chain challenges and a, a whole host of issues that they faced. And she said they've always they've always been the same at their core and who they exist are to help their customers be more successful. And when you look at this company in Cleveland. I I did a little digging last night. I mean, they have been on that same Canal Road site downtown since they bought it from Standard Oil in 1873. They have had the same logo with their Cover the Earth since 1905, and they've had just nine CEOs since 1866 when it was founded. This is a traditional historical company that has grown up with Cleveland and has a huge role in our civic culture. So she didn't really speak to Megan Sims specifically about her role in the community and moving Cleveland forward. But the fact that they're building that 36-story tower right on Public Square is going to change Cleveland forever. Yeah, but people still talk about Chris Connor. He he was pretty beloved in this town. He was involved in a lot of causes while running it. And there's this, been this thought, Brent Larkin has written about this a couple of times, mm-hmm. that the leaders of the big companies that were headquartered in Cleveland used to take an active interest in Cleveland. But after Chris Connor left, I couldn't, I didn't even remember the name of the guy that, that she's replacing. And Cleveland could use some help. And so you, I hope that she does see, yes, you're a part of this community. You have the ability to make a difference. And really, they ought to change that logo because it's not really an environmentally friendly logo. You know, a big glop of goo covering the planet, not the image you want to spread. Plus, I've been doing a lot of research on paint because I think modern paint is really bad. It's made of plastic. uh, and And there's an argument that more than half the microplastics they find in the lake are actually the paint washing off of your house. So... There is an environmental issue here. Mm -hmm. So stop globbing the paint all over the planet. (laughs) I mean, I think that's interesting. And you're right. Brent Larkin has written about Columbus, how it's different than Cleveland and really getting things done because of civic minded corporate leaders. So we'll have to see. I I think Pets is is devoted to Cleveland. Actually, she lives in Rocky River and full disclosure, her kid played Little League with mine and she is a delightful human being. So I was really thrilled to see it, that she got this job. Um, So I wish her all the best and I can't wait to see what she does with the position. So you'll regularly bump into her at PTA meetings and things. uh, Chris, it has been a long time since I went to a PTA meeting because they are at nine o'clock in the morning, which is when we record this podcast, um, at least for the middle school. But no, I think, you know, I've bumped into her at like the donut breakfast. She's always very pleasant. And um, she has three kids, which, you know, the next question is like, how do you do it all? Which is like the stereotypical mom question. But uh, hats off to her. And I, I look forward to seeing what she does. All right. You're listening to Today in Ohio. People keep asking us how they can get issue one signs. That's the abortion amendment on the November ballot. Some want issue two signs involving recreational marijuana. Are they in short supply, Layla? Is there high demand? Do you have to pay for one to get it? And how can people find them? If you're if you're pro issue one, Ohioans United for Reproductive Rights has online has an online form where you can request a sign. 
Ohio Physicians for Reproductive Rights has scheduled a, a number of sign distribution events, and you can find those on their website or in Jeremy Pelzer's story on cleveland.com. We have uh, the link to that. And the Cuyahoga County Democrats are also offering signs in exchange for a $5 donation. You can get those at their headquarters downtown, or I got one from from them when I heard through the grapevine that they had set up a sh- had, you know set up a little pop-up shop in a church parking lot in my town. So I'm assuming they're doing that pretty frequently, but I haven't seen any any advertisement of when exactly. I think you just have to get lucky. If you're anti-issue one, you can get no issue one yard signs from from one of seven regional anti-abortion groups around the state. And contact info for each of the seven is available on the website of the main anti-issue one organization, which is Protect Women Ohio. So as for issue two, the marijuana uh, uh, proposal, the key pro-issue two group is the Coalition to Regulate Marijuana Like Alcohol. They're offering their last couple hundred yard signs through their website for $20 a piece. And if you're against issue two, Protect Ohio Families is the leading anti-issue two organization. They have a limited supply of yard signs available. So to get one, go to their website, provide your contact information, and they said that they will circle back to people about sign distribution. The idea of paying for these things is fairly new in my mind. Usually the, the people seeking help at the ballot welcome anybody saying, I'll put it in my yard. And the idea that you'd have to pay for it, they must be very confident of the vote because they're not relying on the proliferation of signs. Yeah, you would think that this would just be a, what you pay for when you're funding a campaign is is the distribution of your messaging. So I, I am surprised, especially $20 a piece is yeah. pretty expensive. The $5 yeah, that- donation when I was uh, getting mine from the Cuyahoga County Democrats they they were sort of like it's a five dollar recommended donation, but if you don't have money on you, that's totally fine. You can take it for free. Don't worry about it. So it, it does seem in the past week the abortion issue signs have just proliferated. They're everywhere. Um, I haven't seen many issue two signs. Is anybody else seeing issue two signs? I have not seen any. I any. I saw my first one yesterday. I think I was out about Newburgh Heights or or uh, Cuyahoga Heights, and it was a yes on issue two sign. But that's the only one I've seen. Okay, I think we're just getting a notice that the ballot board has approved the redistricting constitutional amendment for next year. We'll be talking about that tomorrow if it's true. You're listening to Today in Ohio. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com system. America seemed to dodge a bullet Wednesday. It's not final. When House Republicans made their choice for whom they want to be their speaker, Lisa, how close did Jim Jordan, the election denier and Donald Trump sycophant from Ohio, 
come to getting that nod? He missed it by 14 votes. In a secret ballot yesterday, House Republicans nominated Steve Scalise from Louisiana to replace ousted Speaker Kevin McCarthy. The final vote was 113 for Scalise and 99 for Jordan. Uh, Jordan says he plans to vote for Scalise when the vote comes to the House floor, which could be as early as today. He said he met with Scalise after the vote, and he's encouraging his colleagues to support Scalise as well. But before voting, the Republicans tried to change the rules that currently require 217 votes for a speaker selection. They wanted to change that to a simple majority, but that motion failed. They also discussed changing a, a motion to vacate the rule that Matt Gates used to oust McCarthy. Now, Gates will say that he says that he supports Scalise, but there are a few Jordan hangers on. Marjorie Taylor Greene of Georgia says she will not support Scalise and plans to vote for Jordan on the floor. She's concerned about Scalise's health. He's undergoing treatment for a blood cancer right now. But most in the Ohio Republican caucus did support Jordan. Max Miller of Rocky River says, I'm still for Jordan. Mike Turner of Dayton says Jordan, Jordan is the obvious choice, but others kind of stayed neutral. Dave Joyce of South Russell and bad Brad Wenstrup of Cincinnati kind of stayed neutral on the topic. It's a sad state of affairs in America when somebody like Jim Jordan can get 99 votes from elected leaders to be the House Speaker. I mean, everything this guy does is counter to moving the country forward. And he's an election denier. He was talking to Trump on January 6th. I mean, everything he's done is counter to the truth. His committee hearings have been circus sideshows where he's just trying to get headlines. And yet dozens and dozens of people lined up to say he should be third in line in to the presidency. It's so a president, the vice president, the house speaker. And that's who they want to be in that role. And then a jo Jordan was anointing himself as the hero that will save Congress and get things moving again. So, hmm. And frightening. We are in a frightening moment in America. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Iowa State Treasurer Bob Sprague is showing his support for Israel in a big way following the horrifying attack by Hamas over the weekend. Laura, what is he doing? Ohio is investing millions of dollars more money in Israel. We're buying more debt backed by the Israeli government, and that's obviously in the aftermath of these attacks. And Ohio was already one of the top government holders of Israeli debt. He says the new infusion is needed to help give the country additional cash as it prepares for what is looking like could be an extended horrifying war. So Ohio's going to buy $20 million more in bonds. That's the state total holding to $187.5 million. He said, now is the time to stand with Israel and that we're proud to make this purchase and provide desperately needed liquidity to Israel as they fight against the heinous acts of terrorism. Um, Israel had launched a bond campaign on Tuesday targeting expatriates wanting more money. So this is what he did with our state money. This is an interesting moment for Republicans who more and more were using aid for Ukraine as a talking point. They didn't mm -hmm. want to do it. They wanted Ukraine to just wither in the face of the Russian invasion. But now Israel was invaded and everybody, Republicans all over the place, are lining up saying this cannot stand. I don't see how you can make one case and not the other. And it's going to put them in a box. Have we heard from J.D. Vance on Israel yet? 
I haven't. That's yep. an interesting question. Well, right. I mean, he's dead set again, spending a dollar on Ukraine. Is he going to come out and say the same thing about Israel? Or is he going to hide away because he doesn't want to be called out for it? <laughs> Good question. J.D. Vance, if you're listening, what are you going to do? Well, yeah. We do know that he supports Israel. He did say that. But as far as monetarily, we don't know. Well, how do you stand up and say Israel was invaded, this should not stand, while in the same breath say mm. Ukraine was invaded, we don't care? Mm. Which is basically the attitude that many Republicans are taking on Ukraine. They, they, they've lost the lessons of history. They, ha they aren't paying attention to what happened in World War II. They're ready for appeasement with Ukraine, but, but not with Israel. It doesn't, doesn't make sense. They, they can't do one without the other. And of course, what they're doing with Ukraine is what needs to be reversed. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Freshman Ohio Congressman Max Miller stepped up again for Israel Wednesday. Lisa, what did he propose? Yeah, Miller attended a classified briefing on the Hamas-Israel conflict, and he pledged to obtain immediate aid to Israel in Congress and to fight back against anti-Semitism within Congress. He said, I will continue to speak out for Jewish people in Israel and will never back down despite anti-Semitic views in my very own conference. He says he personally hasn't experienced hateful remarks, but he says both Republicans and Democrats have made hateful remarks. And for example, he used uh, Pramila Jayapal, who's a Democrat from Washington, who earlier this year called Israel a racist state. She later apologized for that. But he pointed out that nine Democrats voted against an anti-Semitism resolution in support for Israel after those comments. And he said, quote, the Democrats need to change their tune, which is true, but he didn't point out the people in his own party that are being nasty. What's disappointing about this is the the, the bickering side. I mean, what happened in Israel is was horrible, and many people are, are lining up to say this can't stand. And looking forward and, and pushing forward seems like the more fruitful thing to do rather than creating divisions in his body with what he said yesterday. I'm not quite sure what the strategy is. I'm not either. And, you know, he said it's on both sides, but yet he only called out the Democrats for their anti-Semitic remarks. And I'm, I'm thinking there, there might be more than nine Republicans who are anti-Jewish. Yeah. Okay. You're listening to Today in Ohio. Laura, why is the Cleveland Clinic returning to masks in its hospitals? Well, because it's it's going to be winter. We don't actually know from them specifically. Gretchen Kudakron was not able to get comment from the clinic. We just have this email that they sent out to their staff, and they're asking their caregivers to mask in inpatient units within the Ohio hospitals beginning next Tuesday, October 17th. Visitors and patients are highly encouraged to mask as able. All I can think, you know, this is the time of year. Everybody goes back inside. <laughs> All the germs are spreading. We're getting close to Thanksgiving and Christmas, which have been hot beds of germs for COVID over the last couple of years. And they want to protect their patients. Um, so we'll see if uh, other hospitals follow suit because so far they haven't. Why don't hospitals, just as a general rule, always require masks? With the stuff that's floating around and the vulnerabilities patient have, patients have, why isn't just standard that, that hospital workers should wear masks? I, that's a very good question. I would think that, that it would make a lot of sense 
to do that. I, yeah. I do know that at UH, I had an appointment with my doctor at UH last week, and they handed me a mask. I had to wear it. No, it just seems like if you're in a medical setting like that, it would be better for everybody if the masks are on. It would keep the, the hospital staff safe. They're being exposed to all sorts of things, as Layla knows well. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. And 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 you have a lot of medically vulnerable patients who uh you know, nurses sometimes go in with a sniffle. Sometimes that could be de- catastrophic for a patient who's you know on the edge of of uh their situation. So, it it makes sense to just keep the masks. Yeah, it seems like the right thing to do. You're listening to today in Ohio. All right, Layla, who was president the last time the city of Cleveland changed its trash pickup days for residents? What's the plan to do it now? Well, not since the Eisenhower administration has the city of Cleveland taken stock of how trash pickup is working in the city and whether adjustments need to be made. So now, given how much the neighborhoods and population figures have changed since then, they're making some big changes to the trash pickup schedule for for some Clevelanders. It's unclear how many residents this is going to affect and where exactly in the city they're going to be, but the city's estimating it'll probably be around 10,000 households, and it'll probably be on the west side for the most part. And the last time the city changed its trash collection schedule, which was in the 1950s, the city recorded its peak population of 915,000 residents, and we are down to 373,000 as of the 2020 census. The population in some neighborhoods is booming. And in some of those places, the streets are narrow and cars are parked alongside them and and trash collection is pretty time consuming in those neighborhoods. But meanwhile, in other parts of the city, we see fewer occupied homes and wider streets. So while some trash collectors are working well past dark, grappling with all these problems with uh, the, the, the width of the streets and the crowding, others are wrapping up their routes pretty early and then they have to drive across the city to help out with the more tedious routes. So with this adjustment, they're rebalancing the routes to spread the workload more evenly and provide more consistent service. The city's still finalizing these changes, so the plan might not take effect until December and they'll notify residents through all the usual channels and and they're going to put stickers on trash cans that will notify people of their new pickup days. I am surprised that they haven't done this in more than a half century. It seems like any government seeking to be efficient would regularly review its systems to see if there's a better way. It's mind-boggling that they have not changed it since, well, before I was born. Is it mind-boggling? Look at some of the things we've learned about how the city was functioning I mean, I hate to say it, but under Frank Jackson, I mean, everything yeah. was done on paper. Remember all the 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 you know s- snow removal craziness, yeah. Yeah. and that was I, that was insane. Like people, those those uh, drivers were using paper routes with highlighter on it to try to figure out where to go next. I mean, it was just nothing was was living in the in the you know modern day. <laughs> but when they went to them they have automated trucks, right? To pick up the cans and dump them. Isn't that the way they do it? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. When they went to that, wouldn't that have been the time to say, hey, if we're going to automated trucks, that's what Cleveland Heights did a couple of years ago. We had the same trash day for a quarter century, but when they got the automated trucks in the bins, they did a big review and they changed it all up for efficiency. It's mind boggling. It's more than 50 years. I mean, I, it's what, half the population of what it was when it was set. And no mayor since then until Justin Bibb said, maybe we should look at whether we can right. be more efficient. 
Well, one thing that strikes me too is, you know, recently on since you know the last couple of years, they did that big comprehensive housing survey where they really saw where all the vacancies were and things. And maybe that brought it to the fore. They maybe. understood that not only did they have this issue with workers, you know, trash collectors having to drive across the city and help out their their co-workers who were working late into the night, but they could see that there were huge areas of the city where nobody really lived and there wasn't really trash to be picked up. So maybe that kind of uh, made it more clear that it was time to do this. It's an unusual story, and it's interesting to talk about how long it's been there. You're listening to Today in Ohio. I have no idea how long we've gone because our time clock got blown up, so I hope we're at time. Thank you, Lisa. Thank you, Laura. Thank you, Layla. Thanks to everybody who listens. We'll be back on Friday. <laughs> <laughs>